We're, we are going to continue our study in Revelation chapter 6. And in Revelation chapter 6, in the first eight verses, and this is really this, I guess you could call series, is about, uh, we find the four horsemen of apocalypse. You remember, uh, we've been going through that. And let me just give you uh, what we, we see with these four horsemen. And number one, the white horse, which you saw a few weeks ago, verses 1 through 2, it represents the arrival of the wicked conquer and we talked about that that's the antichrist and last week we saw the red horse the second red horse that came out and that's verse three and four and that represents the arrival of warring violence and and we talked about that too last night. i encourage you to grab uh, if you missed it uh listen to our youtube channel or spotify listen to the grab the messages again uh Today, we're going to go on to the black horse, which is verse 5 and 6, and represents the arrival of a worldwide famine. And the next time, the fourth horse is the pale horse, verse 7 and 8. It represents the arrival of widespread death. But today, our study is going to be on that third horse, the black horse. And this black horse is going to come in and affect the world economy. We saw wars in the last one, violence between individuals. We saw that the Antichrist coming in and fooling the world and bringing a false peace. But this one here today, as we get into the third horse, it's going to affect the world economy. You know, earlier this week, I don't know if you were catching the news, but there was headlines like this, uh, global stocks tumble after U.S. inflation hits a 13-year high. So we're seeing a change in our economy right now as we're uh, talking and looking at coming out of this pandemic time. Another headline I read was consumer prices rose to 4.2%, fastest rise since 2008. Things are changing and maybe you're starting to see that even in, in, in your shopping and all. One thing I thought I was like in shock of was another headline said lumber prices up 400 percent. I mean, this just shot up a lot. Or did you see this one? Uh, this headline this week said retail sales fall flat in April after a huge surge in March. So inflation prices going up, but people aren't buying. I mean, the economy is in this flux and this transition and, and investors holding back, wondering what's going to happen with inflation and us coming out of pandemic. There, there's going on, stuff going on in our economy. I mean, what is that? What's going on? What's going to happen? Right. All the financial guys are trying to predict that right now. There's articles this week all about that because we're in a change right now today in our world. But it's hard to predict what's going on. Right. It's hard to predict. I mean, the economy always been so unstable. Right. Many times. And it's even more so when events happen in the world, when the pandemic happened, when all kinds of things happen, the economy seems to like stutter and be in flux. I read about a man who spoke about the fluctuation of finances and all that in this way. He said this, I am like a walking economy. My hairline is in recession. My waistline is going through inflation. And together they are pushing me to depression. <laughs> I like that. Well, well, in these uncertain times, we face definitely an uncertain economy. But in the future... In the future tribulation, the world's economy will only get worse. Okay, it's going to get really bad, and that's for certain. 
And that's what we're going to see here in the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we're doing part three now. And we're going to get into the third horse, the black horse. So again, our title, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, part three is the black horse today. And again, we're going to be studying Revelation chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. And this is our outline. Number one, the administering of economic suffering. And then number two, as I already mentioned to you what the black horse represents, number two in our outline is the arrival of worldwide famine. So that's what we're going to be looking at in these two verses. Now, let's look at number one in our outline, the administering of economic suffering. And this is going to be verse five. Our next heading is just verse six. But take a look here. Verse five now, the administering of economic suffering. Now, Revelation 6 verse 5 says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hands. So we're going to stop right here. Now we begin once again, John the Apostle, the author, or the one who is given this revelation, this book that we have today in our hands. He's now witnessing, he's writing about the opening of the third seal here in verse 5. Now if you remember, the seal is part of the seven seals, right? This is the third one in succession here that is being opened. There's seven total that is sealing this scroll. And I remind you, back in Revelation chapter 5, we learned that this scroll is the title deed to the earth, which contains, like I call it, like the escrow instructions or the process in which Jesus Christ is going to be taking back what was lost to Satan when a man sinned. So he's taking back the authority of the earth by ta- opening this scroll, and it's like the title deed to that authority over the earth. And this process includes judgment. And that's what we've been seeing, even with the Antichrist coming on the scene with this first white horse and the red horse, warring violence breaking out in the world. That's all part of God's judgment and and the way Jesus is taking back what was lost, the authority over the earth. And in the end, he's going to come and conquer everyone and have ownership and authority over all the earth. So this time that we're en- we've entered into in chapter 6 is the time we call the tribulation. It's seven years. It will last. We've talked about that, the prophecy in Daniel. And we're going to see numbers, uh, uh, numbers of days are going to be given to us. And that correspond to these seven years too. And so we know the tribulation lasts seven years. And it's the last seven years of this world as we know it. So understand, and that's what we're looking into in in this prophecy, in this prediction now. So we come to the third seal in verse 5. And John sees now he, that's Jesus, opening, breaking open this seal. And you remember, it's a scroll, right? It's like the Roman documents of back then. They're sealed, seven seals. And he breaks one seal, he rolls it open. And we saw the white horse. He breaks the next seal, he opens it, and there's the red horse. And now he breaks the seal, the third seal, rolls it out, up, out like that. And now with the third seal comes this event. And what we see in verse 5, just as the other seals, John hears the third living creature say come now the living creature we know is one of the high level powerful angels around the throne of god four of them we saw in revelation chapter four and they are called the cherubim and they have been tasked to give this order to call out 
these horses and its rider, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, to come out and go into the world, which represents these events that fall upon the world during this time of the tribulation. So here's this one cherubim standing ready, the third living creature in chapter 4, and Jesus breaks open the seal, and then he calls out orders come for this third horse and its rider, the black horse, to come out, riding out into the world. Now, the horse, as I mentioned, it, it, it really is symbolic to power, conquering, you know, just coming out in that way. But here, this horse is the color black. Uh, first was white, then red. Now, this horse is black. And the black means not so good days that are coming upon the earth. Now, there's two things we find out about opening this third seal. And the first thing is this. Number one, the black horse brings hardship and suffering. The black horse brings hardship and suffering. And just that color black is really telling us that. You know, I was thinking about what the prophet Joel uh, said when he was giving judgment upon Judah, the, the last nation there, in the Old Testament, before the Babylonians came, God used the Babylonian nation to bring judgment and take over Judah. And here's Joel's prophecy about that. Before it all happened in Joel chapter 2, verse 2, and it says, A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick dark darkness, like blackness, there spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. So, so just as Joel prophesied this judgment, this doom, these dark days, these bad days are coming upon Judah, the nation at that time, with the Babylonians. So we see the color black in this horse uh, represents, it symbolizes this ominous, ominous time, yeah? dark days, dark times, bad days that are coming. It's black days of hardship and suffering. So first of all, understand that as the black horse comes out, it brings hardship and suffering upon the earth. And, and in a specific way. In the way, and this is number two, the black horse affects the world economy. So the black horse symbolizes, represents this, these hardship and suffering. But in what way? Well, the black horse is going to come and it brings about these events that affect the world economy. That's what we're looking at. That's what's unfolding before us in the word right here, right now. Notice here in verse 5 at the end. So uh, John says, look, I looked and behold, a black horse comes out, right? And its rider had a pair of scales in his hands. So here's this black horse. And then the rider now is holding these scales. Now, scale is, is what the ancient merchants used to when they were buying, when they're selling goods. You, you, you know what that is. You've seen it in movies. We see it in statues, right? There's that bar with the pivot point in the middle, a chain like coming down on both ends, and a cup or saucer on the end of those chains. And it would, it would, it would, it's like a balance, right, of scales. And you would be able to determine, like, 
the value, you know, of, of gold or certain products. And it, it would be that. So I was thinking, well, today, I mean, I went and bought poke the other day, right? Um, what do they do? You know, oh, I like one pound, you know, uh, onion crisp. And so they threw that in, put it in the tub and put it on the scale, right? And it showed how much that uh, amount of poke would cost. Well, that's the idea with this scale. He's coming in, and with this scale, it really sim- symbolizes the determination of the price of goods. The price of goods. The black horse, and, or the black uh, horse and its riders tasked in the administering of economic suffering. And we're going to be seeing that in the next verse, but that's what he's coming in to do. He's going to administer economic suffering coming upon the world. That's the hardship. That's the suffering. That's the black color. And that's the scales. That's what it means in what he's holding. I like something what Henry Morris um, said. He wrote this in his commentary in the book of Revelation. Uh, uh, concerning this black horse and, and what is unfolding in what we're reading today, he said this, The first horseman carried a great bow, the second a great sword, the third held merely a pair of balances, but this symbolized a great weapon. And then he goes on to say, The power of commerce. And I like that. That, that really opened my mind up to why he's carrying scales you know why is he why is he carrying this this balance the scale here see the scales represent our econ- the economy it, it represents trade commerce the price of goods buying and selling and how the scales are tipped determine how the economy is right and how and then the economy affects the quality of life i mean think about it right if the scale tips toward prosperity, that's great. Or it can tip the other way to total loss, right? No money. Or it can tip toward inflation or tip the other way to depression or recession, right? The scale could tip on doing well in life, right? Depending on the economy. Or it can tip toward starving, which we're going to see. It can tip toward success or suffering in your life according to this economy. So this black horse, he comes up, and the rider is basically going to bring these event, this event down into the world, hardship and suffering through those Black Fridays, right, when the stock market crashed, through times of economic suffering. So put that in your minds, first of all, here. Here's this black horse administering economic suffering, coming out upon the world. Now, before we go on, perhaps, I was thinking about this this week, perhaps some um, thinking about economic suffering, of being, not having enough, and, and maybe, you know, you're going through that now. Maybe you've been through that. Maybe there's times where, you, you know, it's been hard financially, or you've been hit because of things in the economy or the stock market crashing, and, and perhaps those hits actually touch a wound in your heart. I mean, if we're really looking at this, right, we see Jesus sending out this black horse. We see Jesus bringing upon the world economic suffering that will fall upon the people of the world. And maybe that hits a wound in your heart. Perhaps you've been struggling with God. 
Perhaps you've been struggling, saying, why would God allow me to suffer like this? Perhaps it's something that has even brought you to a place where you pushed God away because it was so hard. Perhaps maybe you've become bitter towards God because of suffering like this. But let me say something here. Don't let your struggles bring in wrong thoughts. Don't let these feelings lead you away from God. Don't don't let what has happened confuse you about God. So how can we understand God when we suffer like this? Maybe we can even talk about suffering in general. Why, I mean, have you ever said that to the Lord? God, why are you allowing me to suffer like this? Why is that? Well, before we go on, I want to give you three things just to comfort your heart. Perhaps this is touching a wound. You're thinking, oh, wow, Jesus is doing this to the world. Whoa. Now, we, we talked about judgment last time. If you missed that, grab that, and, and that'll help you understand that too. But, but right now, this question, why is God allowing me to suffer like this? Let me give you three, three things here. Number one is this. Understand suffering comes from consequences. Just real straight and simple. Understand that suffering comes from consequences. Let me explain. You know, in general, suffering in the world comes from living in this fallen world, you guys. Just in general, right? Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, right? We know Genesis uh, chapter 3, this curse came upon the world because of sin, because of sin in the world. And so that's brought in the suffering. That's what Genesis 3 tells us. Sin and its consequences brought that struggle in this life, brought that suffering into life. And that also means that suffering can also be the result of your own doing, right? So we sin. We sin before God. If, if, if Adam and Eve sin brought this suffering and this fallen world, well, even our own sin, right? Our own choices can bring consequences. So sometimes the suffering is because of that. Some, sometimes our economic suffering is because of that. I mean, the Bible says we reap what we sow, right? So either way, Right? Living in a fallen world or, or making bad choices, it can bring consequences. So, and sometimes someone else's consequences affect us too. So we just live in this fallen world. So know that, number one, understand suffering comes from consequences. But here's number two. Understand this. God allows suffering to bring about His purpose. Now that's important. Yeah, sin, uh, other people, our own bad choices. Oh, wow, it brings in this suffering. It's like, whoa, then there's no hope, right? But no, wait, there's one thing, another thing you, ha- you have to understand. God allows suffering to bring about His purpose. I mean, we understand what the Bible says. I mean, we, we understand, all believers know that suffering grows us, right, spiritually. James 1. Right? God uses trials in our lives for us to grow, to learn lessons. Right? We, we have to understand that. So, so God allows suffering to bring His purpose. Suffering also, think about this, suffering is an opportunity to see God's power 
work in our lives. That's what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 12. He, he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what he said. God, God even, even told them that in, 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 in uh, 2, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, God told him that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses. That's uh, 2 Corinthians 2.9. And at the end of that verse, you know what Paul wrote? He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, I understand what Paul's saying. In those times of weakness, in the times of suffering, we, we experience God in greater ways like never before. That's what he's saying. The, that's this opportunity in the time of suffering for God to work. I can't, with Paul, though, honestly say, oh, yeah, I, I, I take pleasure. I gladly boast about those times. I, 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 don't, I hate suffering time. I hate to suffer. But I understand. And as I understand, I'm beginning to accept my times of trial and suffering more because I see God work and I see myself getting closer to Him and knowing Him in a deeper way. So understand God allows suffering to bring about his purpose. Another thing to think about is what Romans, right? 8:28, right? What does that say? Romans 8:28 and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that God is sovereign and he can work his work and fulfill his purposes for his glory for good. Do you remember uh, in in Genesis chapter 50 when Joseph told his brothers in Genesis fifty twenty, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So understand, God allows suffering to bring about His purpose. It grows us. We, we experience His power. It's an opportunity to see Him work. He, he's working good here. His glory, His plan... And let me give you one more thing. Suffering, you know what? It's designed to get your attention. It really is, isn't it? And, and coming back to Revelation 6 here, even though this economic suffering, it, it's part of the judgment, but you know what God's heart is? God is trying to get the world's attention. He's trying to call them. He's trying to wake them up to the fact of what's going on. He's trying to get them to turn to Him and find salvation and help in Him. Isn't, isn't that what happens when, when trouble comes upon us, when problems fall, right? And, when, and first, what do we do nat naturally? We first try and solve it on our own, right? We try and fix things or we, we try and in our own straight get through it and all but then it gets worse and we're like oh no I, 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 I can't do this and, and then many times in our humanness the second thing we do is well, well I gotta pray and so we start to pray when we should have prayed at first but in our prayer times we're led to God and we're led to this place where God I can't do anything I cannot control this. It's out of my hands. Lord, help me. What, what does it do? It, it, it turns us to God. And if we've been going down the wrong path or we've been distracted for a while, then trouble comes. All of a sudden it's like, oh, God, God. We remember God. 
So understand, God allows suffering to bring upon, uh, uh, bring about this purpose, and one of them is designed to get your attention, so you would turn to Jesus. So understand that today. Today, understand that. Number three, the third thing. I mean, let me say say again that why is God allowing me to suffer like this? Answer, understand suffering comes from consequences. Number two, understand God allows suffering to bring about his purpose. And number three, understand Jesus has made a way to reach the end of suffering. Understand that today. See, Jesus experienced suffering so that he can save us from suffering those consequences of sin. Think about that. He suffered the penalty of our sin so we wouldn't have to. And so he suffered the same things we do. The pain, the hurt, the betrayal, all that we go through. He didn't have much money either. He lived poorly. Think about it. He went through all that and then died on a cross, took upon him, his body, his, he sacrificed himself for our sin. He suffered for us. He suffered that penalty so that we wouldn't have to go on forever living in suffering. Though we live in a fallen world today, it's not going to go on forever. And we're, we're seeing this in the book of Revelation. So Jesus has suffered so he can bring an end to suffering on earth as we enter a new life in heaven. That's, that's what it is. That's the idea. Listen, listen to this in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, we have a description of heaven. And we'll, we'll see this when we get there. But John writes this here in Revelation 21, 4. It says, He, that's God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you see that now? Do you see how Jesus has made the way for us to reach the end of suffering? Yes, there's consequences to our own bad choices and sin. We live in this fallen world. There's consequences to sin entering in this world. Yes, there's suffering. But God uses that for good in our lives, to grow us. But even more so, Jesus made a way to reach the end of this suffering in this world by giving us a way to be in heaven. And I love that thought, you guys. He suffered so we could come to this end of suffering by living in heaven. So as we're looking at this and talking about economic suffering, hardship, and all that, you know, don't let your mind think wrong thoughts here. Don't, don't let your heart be led astray by wrong feelings. Don't let this black horse in Revelation 6 cause, cause your wound maybe that, that you have to, to, to lead you into believing what, what maybe what the world says, maybe what other religions say, maybe, maybe believing what you're all mine is trying to tell you with, and you know what I call it? This is the word that we use today, right? Misinformation. Our own mind, our own feelings and emotion in these things can lead us astray with misinformation. 
information. Yeah, we're using that today, isn't it? We we live in these uncertain times, and it's easily easy for us to believe misinformation. I mean, there's so much out there on the internet, social media, right? Misinformation out there, and it's easy to be pulled in to things that people are throwing out there. Well, that's our heart. That's our our feelings. That's our mind. That can do this when we look at suffering and trials. You know, I, I was thinking about how crazy it is, things that people believe, and not just what people, but what Christians believe, you know. And I think it's sad Christians put out misinformation. But like, like the, I mean, do you, have you heard this one? I mean, this has been out for a little while, months now. But there's, there's misinformation that, you know what, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Have you, have you seen that or heard that? Conspiracy theory saying that there's a chip inside the vaccine, and that means, you know what, this is the mark of the beast. This is what Revelation talks about, the mark of the beast. First of all, there's no chip in the vaccine. Secondly, it's not the mark of the beast, because before you have the mark of the beast, you've got to have the beast, right? The Antichrist is not in rule yet. We're going to see this in Revelation 13, that he has to come in power. And then when he stands up in the temple, declares himself God, requires everyone to worship him as God, that's when the requirement for the mark of the beast is put out. And so, here's the third thing. Taking the mark, and we'll see this in Revelation 13, is all about giving your allegiance to the Antichrist and agreeing and saying he's God. That's what it's about. So the vaccine, uh, taking the vaccine, is not like the Antichrist fooling you into taking the mark of the beast. That's not what it is. So when you see that, you read that, that's what I call misinformation, right? It's not true. They will put it in a way to make it sound true. But that's why I keep telling you guys, in this time of crazy information going out there and a lot of misinformation go back to your Bibles be a good Berean Acts 17 11 search the scriptures like they did with what Paul was teaching them understand what the Bible says compare it to what you're seeing understand what what is your response in these things what how should I look at things what should I be doing compare what you're hearing to what the Bible says So, in that same way, let not seeing this black horse administering economic suffering put misinformation into you. Don't let it bring up these thoughts. Don't think that God hates you. God just hates me. That's why I'm in this mess. No, you guys, we live in a fallen world. Don't feel like, well, I'm not his favorite. Yeah. God looks on other, you know, He favors them. But me, I'm, I'm, I'm that, that, that child way over here. No one notices. No, God is intimately involved in your life. And He has a purpose, a deep purpose for what you're going through. And don't make God out to be some unkind, you know, holding back on you. It's, it's just the opposite. Jesus suffered and gave his all for you, right? It's just the opposite. So don't let those things be rattling in your mind. Don't let those maybe feelings stay in your heart. Get them out. Don't be misinformed any longer 
But you know what? Let Jesus be your Jehovah Rapha. You remember what that means? The Lord our healer. Let him heal your heart. Let him heal that wound. Give him your life today. Surrender those things today. Surrender those thoughts. Surrender your life today. Maybe you're here sitting here. Maybe you're online. And, and you've, maybe these are things that held you back from God. Held you back from, from giving your life to Jesus. But I hope the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth to you. And you can see now that Jesus loves you. He's not against you. Jesus gave his all for you. We're just looking at things wrongly. And when we look at the Word and everything I told you is from the Word, from the truth of God's Word, it makes sense. Because the Holy Spirit is telling you, this is what it's about. God loves you. Give your heart to the Lord today. Give your life to God. Become a Christian. Start living for Him. Surrender all to Him. And even in the midst of that that confusion and maybe even some hurt of what's going on. You know, give that to Him and trust God. Put your faith in God for who He is and what He's doing in your life. Go to Jesus and make things right. Maybe that's what you really need to do. Maybe you prayed years ago. Maybe you, you prayed the prayer and you're walking with Christ and then something happened in your life. Maybe you lost your job or maybe you lost your money. Maybe you even was homeless for a while. And you're like, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you allow this in my life? And from that point on, you pushed him away. But you know in your heart, you have not been right with God all this time. And God is calling you back right now. If you're hearing my voice, if you're seeing me right now, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you and calling to you and saying, come back, I love you, come back, I want to forgive you. Come back. Let's make things right so I can work in your life again. So give your life to Jesus right now. Go to Jesus, make things right, especially before the sending of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, let's go on to number two now. The arrival of a worldwide famine. The arrival of a worldwide famine. We see the authority over, uh, or the, um, the administering over economic conditions. Now the arrival of a worldwide famine. Verse 6, our, our last and second verse of this morning. Take a look here. Revelation 6, 6, it says, And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, as a horse and rider, they're about to go, and they're, they're heading out. They're going to come bring this event onto the world during, in the tribulation here. John notices. John now Here's what seemed to be a voice. Here's this voice coming out in the midst of the four living creatures. And who's that? Well, that's the Almighty God. We saw that in Revelation 4. Uh, Around the throne of God, right, where God is sitting, is the four cherubim. And so in the midst is God. So God is speaking here. God now instructs this horseman to bring about something. To bring about really skyrocketing inflation. I heard that term this week too. And it's described this way in verse 6. 
a quart of wheat for a denarius. Now let's understand this. A quart of wheat back then was basically an amount of food. It was barely enough food for one person to sustain him for one day. I, I kind of think about it as it's one portion, you know, one, one meal, maybe in, in that sense. So that's a quart of wheat. Now, a denarius back then, a denarius was equal to one day's average pay. So if you work, you were given a, a, a denarius, this coin, and that was your day's wage. So this one portion of food or, or enough food for one person for one day, it cost a day's wage. That's the idea here. That's how much food costs went. So with this black horse comes, the scales are being tipped now. It's the arrival, really, of a worldwide famine. That's what's going on. There's going to be a food shortage to where the cost of food is going to go skyrocket up into the roof. So this is the first thing I want to show you here. Food prices will skyrocket into the ridiculous. That's the idea. Food prices will skyrocket into the ridiculous. You know, we see in a book of Revelation, and believe that the Antichrist will come in, uh, have all the answers to the world problems, and one of the world problems is the economy, the unstable economy. And he'll come in with all the answers, and, and, and we're going to see that there, there will be a big boom uh, in the economy, that things are going to be going good, but we're going to see there's going to be in a tribulation a huge crash to the point where Revelation talks about that merchants are weeping and people aren't partying anymore and everything because everything just comes down into a crash. So it could be that it was in this time or it's ramping up to this time when food prices will skyrocket into the ridiculous and it brings a worldwide famine. You know, I was thinking about it like this. Say, say you make $200 a day. Maybe you make around four grand a month or something like that. So it's about $200 a day. And, you know, you, you go and you want to eat lunch. So you get this nice plate lunch for 15 bucks. Yeah? Not too bad, $200 a day. Hey, that, that, that's my meal. Yeah, right? Well, think about this. During the tribulation, the price of that plate lunch will jump to $200. That Hawaiian plate, $200. Can you imagine that? Well, maybe, okay, well, I'll buy a katsu chicken or, you know, chicken katsu, yeah. Oh, that's still $180. Well, I like one, one side scoop rice. Well, that's 100 bucks there. I mean, think about how crazy that is. Food prices will just skyrocket into the ridiculous. Second thing we see is that many will eat whatever they can grab. Many will eat whatever they can grab. Uh, look at verse 6 once, once more. So a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. So God gives some more instructions about this economy and the tribulation. And, and, and he puts out three quarts of barley is going to cost a day's wage, a denarius. Now, barley was basically the, the, the cheap substitute to wheat. It, it, it didn't hold the same nutritional value. It was, it, was, it was a cheap food kind of thing. But normally, that's what you feed animals. Yeah. That, that, that's what you just give to animals. So may, maybe this was like 
oh, this, this three, you know, three quarts, maybe I could feed my family with the cheap stuff, yeah? You know what I was relating it to? Maybe it's like, it's like the kids say, Dad, what, what's this? Well, sorry, sorry, family. All we can afford is dog food right now. So it's going to get that bad in that sense. It could be after the red horse, remember the red horse brought that warring violence and wars and stuff. It could be with all this stuff going on that it brought a shortage of food and the price went up like, you know, crazy and, and, and that it brought this famine upon the whole world. So many, this is what I see, will eat whatever they can grab. That's what I see what's going on. You know, my father told me, Oh, after World War II, and, um, and he, he, was small, he was young then, and, um, and Japan's economy was just devastated. Yeah. And he remembers, you know, there's no, like, food distribution going on. The economy was nothing. And everyone, people would be going around, families and, and you know, his, his father. And so they would just be going around finding anything to eat. People were starving so much that they would just look for any type of root, he said. You know, if you could pull some root or dig down, find a root, you, you, you would eat that. I remember my mother, uh, this story was always in my mind when I was young. She was telling me uh, during that same time in Japan after the war, she told me how they were poor, everyone was poor. And, and uh, uh, my grandmother had, had made this big pot of soup for their meal. It was their only meal. And, and she made this big pot of soup and everything. And her brothers were throwing a slipper around back and forth. And, and accidentally, the slipper flew and fell inside this big pot of soup that my grandmother had just prepared for the whole family. It was a family of seven, including the parents. And it fell into the soup, but I remember my mother saying, what could we do? That was the only meal they had. So they just took the slipper out and ate that. They, that, that's the only thing they, they could do. I pictured my uncles like, you know, playing around like that. That's what it's going to be. Many will eat whatever they can grab. And the third thing we see in verse 6 is, is, is some will go on as if nothing happened. Some will go on as if nothing happened. Look at verse 6 at the end. And do not harm the oil and wine. Interesting. God instructs this horseman to not touch the oil and wine. To keep those things going. To keep those things accessible. Now, there's some views on what this might mean. There's some different interpretation. One is that the olive or the oil is olive oil. So it's olive oil and wine. They were like the basic necessities or the basic things that they had in the Middle East in the ancient time at that time. So uh, perhaps God is saying, you know, don't touch that so people could still survive. Another view is that this oil, the olive oil, they look at it as olive oil and wine were luxuries that the rich had access to. So in that interpretation, it looks like during this time is that, that the rich would hoard these things. They would hoard these basic necessities and, and they would keep to their wealthy lifestyle even when the world was in great need. Uh, we, were, we watched some TV series um, 
Charles Dickens kind of TV series stories where the setting was back, back, you know, like in the 1800s where, oh, you had the, the, the rich, rich elite and the poor, poor, you know. It was the time of, of people were homeless, people were starving, the common people, you know. And I, I just pictured a time of George Mueller when he was taking kids off the street and putting them in this orphanage, you know, how God provided. I mean, that's what I picture in this time. People are starving, yet the rich, rich, they're still okay in living their lavish style. Another view is this, that the oil speaks here of crude oil, you know, and, and, and wine, alcohol consumption and all that. that that's still going to go on. There's still going to be oil and people going to be, you know, still having, you know, their vehicles and all that. And it could be, could be. I was thinking, well, we're really trying to head toward a more econo- economic or uh, ecological, right? Well, electric and everything. I don't know. You know, we'll see, you know. Uh, I thought that was interesting. But you know what? In my mind, it, it, I kind of pictured that either way, maybe num- the second and third interpretation, maybe like, yeah, there are going to be the real wealthy guys and they're going to go on and there's going to be mostly everyone else in the world, right? The 1%. Right? We talk about. And then the rest, 99, we're suffering here. Right? Maybe it's, it's like that. Yet still, we're, we're driving in our cars where you know, people are still partying and drinking. Right? Even being poor, poor. Could be that kind of scenario. Either way, you can see things will get really, really bad. And you know, I can see signs of that right now. I mean, we've talked about the economy, but I think there's going to be uptick and then a big crash. But we can see, see signs of people struggling. We know that. We understand that. I, I, I came across these reports, like the UN reports that 821 million people in the world suffer from hunger. And they say things are not getting better. In the last three years, it's gotten worse, they said. Uh, even in our modern world, you, you wouldn't think that this is going on, but there's a statist- statistic that one in nine people in the world still go to bed hungry every night. One in three persons in the world suffer from some form of malnutrition. I also read 74 countries in the world, which make up 69% of the world's population, suffer from starvation. And look and listen to this. Even in the United States, 12.4 million children are malnourished. So it's out there already, you know. Praise God for His provision for us. And 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 that's something I want to say too is that you know financially maybe you're going through it or uh, um, um, no matter what the economy happens maybe you're in fear like oh no what's going to happen to my industry or where I work um what's going to happen. Understand Philippians 4.19 that God will supply all your needs. And I've, I've seen this through my lifetime in the different stock market crashes and economic downturns, you know, uh, uh, crazy inflation, times, 80s, or, you know, 2008, or whatever we've been through. You know, I've seen believers, people I know, even in construction industry that gone down, that somehow God keeps them going. Yeah? Somehow they're provided for. So understand this, but, but we know how things are, and it could be a sign, and we know how much worse now we understand it's going to be. So as we close up here, let me put this out. Do, do we care, right, about the people 
who will be in the tribulation when this comes upon the world. I mean, my, I tell you, the more I'm studying this, and as we get into this, I'm going to say it more, but my heart gets sore. Yeah? My heart gets sore for the people in this world. And, and as we see near this economic suffering, it's going to be like never before. Do, do, do we have concerns? Does it touch our heart? You know, I was kind of meditating on this and I kind of laughed at myself because I was thinking, you know, when, when I hear the, our cats like, meow, meow, crying for food, I don't care. I do nothing because my wife feeds them. <laughs> but when I hear babies cry, oh. You know? Being a grandpa now, I, I, I understand why grandparents spoil their kids. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that what it should be? Our heart for the losses. Things are not going to be good. They're going to be fooled by the Antichrist. There's going to be violence and war like never before. And there's going to be economic suffering like never before. Next time, we're going to see widespread death. I mean, if we really believe what's in here, it, it, it should shake us. It should move us. It should move us to, you know, stop living as if nothing's going to happen. Right? Stop living like, oh, Jesus is just, you know, this, this second thing in my life. No, he, he got to be the first. And it should move us that we cannot sit here and keep living as if the four horsemen are not coming. You know, 30 years ago, Billy Graham wrote this book, and he called it The Approaching Hoofbeats. That was 30 years ago. In that book, let me quote something he wrote. He said, In my view, the shadows of all four horsemen could already be seen galloping through the world at this moment. And you know, as we, we've been talking about the first horse and the Antichrist and the violence and, with the second horse, and, and, and as I shared with you, there's, there's stuff going on here with our economy and people starving. Oh, I can see that now. That was 30 years ago he wrote this. And today, you know, you can say these shadows are getting longer and larger and bigger and darker, right? And you can hear those hoofbeats, right, coming now, getting louder and louder. And so as time gets closer, let's change how we live today. Let's, let, let's have compassion and be aware of those around us, those who don't have Jesus, because we don't want them to go through this time. We care about them. Let's, let's have more of an urgency on our hearts of what's coming, of trying to help and stop those people who are, are going to be entering that time. We want them to come with us in the rapture. Before I close with this, I read about a man who almost drove off a bridge that had collapsed during this ice storm that was going on. And he had stopped just in time, but other cars... Uh, continued to pass by and plunge into the icy river below in this dark night. Well, this man got out of his car and was frantically trying to stop the other cars that were coming toward the bridge, and some just drove by. As another car approached, the man took off his coat and stood in the middle of his road and was just waving his coat and just yelling, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. 
that car stopped, and uh, the driver, he was all angry, rolled his window down. So, are you crazy? What are you doing standing out in the middle of the road in a night like this? Get out of the way. And the man said, the bridge, the bridge, the bridge is out. Well, that driver opened his eyes. He drove the car, turned it sideways, blocked the whole road. And the both of them were able to stop the other cars from going into destruction. I read that thought, that's got to be us. Yeah. That's the urgency. That's a, we, we, we see and we believe what's written in here. We know what's coming. And we should join together and tell others about what's coming up ahead so they don't go and drive into destruction. You know, no matter what the economy will do today, we know what's going to happen in the future in the tribulation. And it's that time the black horse will come. It's that time he'll come with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Let's pray. God, we know you're sovereign, Lord, and we know that you rule. God, that you know what's going to happen in the future. You're God. You're eternal. And God, you have given us this book and what we studied today to show us a picture of what it's going to be like. And with that, Lord, we understand as believers, we're not going to be here. We're going to be home with you, but there are others in this world that won't be. And so, God, use us to be that light and witness, God. Use us, Lord, to to help share your gospel and save those that are heading toward that bridge that is out, thinking everything's okay, but they can't see in the darkness of the night what's up ahead. Lord, there is a storm blowing already, and sometimes it's hard. It's hard to get out of our car. It's hard to be out there, God. But Lord, may all of this put a fire in our heart and stir us up, God, to share more, God, to be more bold, to, to love on others, to, to not focus in on what they're doing to me or, or how they're making me suffer, God. But may we be concerned with their lives, Lord, their souls, And Lord, I pray, God, for those who are struggling and hurting, Lord, maybe from circumstances, situations, trials, and maybe it's it's finances, and they don't understand how you can allow it. God, I pray that in the wisdom in your word, Lord, that you would help them to see and open their eyes to the truth of your love, the truth of your power, that no matter what you reign, And no matter what, you're working in their lives. And that, God, it's sin. It's our own choices that many times can bring suffering, Lord. Sometimes you allow things just so you can show us your power and glory. And and, and that's for us to grow in faith and trust in. Lord, help us, God, to see you with eyes of faith today. And may what you've told us today cause us, Lord, to trust you more, to live for you more, and to surrender more of our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.